770. And the text for today's sermon is Colossians 3, 20 and 21. The reading of the word, I want to back up to verse 15 to read this broader context. And um, the, and I would encourage you to keep the, the, the Colossians open there as you might find yourself wanting to glance up farther in the chapter as we go on through the sermon. But hear God's word, his voice read to you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do anything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Pray with me, please. Lord, here is your word. And here's the foolishness of preaching. You are the one who said, "Light, let light shine out of darkness. And it did. Lord, cause your glory to shine in our hearts in the face of your servant. Our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Christians here, the Lord Jesus has triumphed over sin. And he is extending his peace on earth through Christian families. Families must be exhorted, instructed, and supported to do this work by faith. Now, over the last many weeks, we have been unpacking Paul's third general command in Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. This peace is the outcome of Jesus' triumph over the sin that has dominated the world since the fall. This command comes from the call to a life of faith. Back in 3, 1 to 2. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. A life of faith in Jesus, lived on the earth, done on the earth, is directed by the peace of that Jesus established in dying for your sins and raising, rising for your justification. His accomplishment owns the business of your mundane lives. And the ordinary family 
is given a conspicuous role in the advance of Christ's peace. Consequently, families must be exhorted, instructed, and supported to do this work by faith. The family's life is enlivened by the liveliness of the church. Now, not all Christians live as part of a family or an intact family. Paul notes this at the end of the letter. In his greetings, he writes, Give my greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. Widowed, divorced, never married, we, we, we don't know. This lady is head of a household, and, and one in which gathers a regular congregation. Focusing on the family does not marginalize other households. Paul gives this exhortation for the entire church to hear. For the entire church to hear. Because indeed, the extending of Christ's peace on the earth is the business of the whole body. A family cannot fulfill its own calling alone and in isolation. Families need the body of Christ. <laughs> this is not a Father's Day sermon. Um, that was unplanned. Yes, I was oblivious. You know me. But nonetheless, with that coincidence especially, preaching on the Christian family may sound like hoisting a flag for the culture war. Faith in Christ has convictions and habits at odds with your sin and with much around you. Nonetheless, your business is the peace of Christ. The war is won, and you are called to enjoy the victory. We fight with praise and thanks and repentance and love. Yes, we are calling others to surrender, but we take no prisoners and we make no slaves. Hostility is not our task. Christian, here, the Lord Jesus has triumphed over sin and he's extending his peace on earth through Christian families. Their work must be done by faith in Christ. This is not a revival of traditional values, whatever similarity there may appear, and it's not morals and goals and promised advantages. Though again, you can dissect this um, and label all those things. Dissection can collect the parts and keep them, but it cannot hold the life. The life is Christ risen and ruling. And the life of a Christian family comes by faith in him. The exhortation needed by the family is founded on faith in Christ. The instruction needed by the family flows from faith in Christ. And the support needed by the family is a living faith of Christ's body, joining with them in extending the peace of Christ on the earth. 
So listen to his exhortation. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This exhortation has three parts. The parties are three, children, parents, and fathers. The duties are three, obedience, unity, and sympathy. Sympathy. There are three fruits of Christ's victory on earth. This is what the risen one has brought about. Thankful obedience is from Christ. True unity is from Christ. And wholesome authority is from Christ. The results of these three are worked out, not only in the family, but wherever that family touches neighbors and society. So by faith in Christ, they extend his peace on earth. Set your eyes. Set your eyes on the one above. Seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand. The one who took your punishment and is risen to rule. Seek those heavenly things where you are now on the earth. His victory, his peace. Now let's consider the duties. First, children are to obey parents in all things. They do not share in the unbounded back and forth of the marriage. And they don't have a role in determining the home's management. They obey within the bounds of opportunity and responsibility given by the parents. Of course, they don't obey in wickedness. But that, that situation is a nightmare for a different discussion. In the norm, children are to obey parents in every way the parents stipulate. Parents should expect and require it. Faith in Christ does this. Now, the second duty is implied, but it's a necessity. The submission and authority of the marriage must produce bread and butter unity. How does a child obey parents who are contradicting and undermining each other? How can a kid make sense out of that? Parents, submission and authority are not about which of you two will win. They are in the most immediate way. Most clearly, in the walls of your home, they're about whether you will give your children a sane place to live and grow. Do your children get the peace of Christ from you? Operating with mutually agreed upon rules is not sufficient. Treaties are between two parties. Unity makes one. Mechanical unity is not enough. You need to fight with sin and get instruction and pray with your brothers and sisters until as a couple you can mutually and regularly renew your personal unity. Now the third duty is paternal sympathy. And wives can greatly assist this. 
they fittingly can appeal for it. And at times, a wife may, seek, may need to seek it with respectful admonition. But only dad, only dad can do this. And he must. You provoke your child to anger by the language and attitudes and callousness that you would never use in seeking the cooperation of an adult. No, your child is not an adult, but obedience really is cooperation. You provoke your child when commands exceed the child's ability, mechanical, emotional, and, and even character. You put your child in the midst of temptation that you know is overwhelming, and you are provoking them. You provoke your child when commands are designed and communicated without attention to the child's own good interests, proper but personal ambitions, and long-term development. When your child knows the command is to satisfy your emotions, your sinful desire, your sinful disposition, don't be surprised you will discourage him. Now that might be surprising. I provoke someone and they're discouraged. It's a little bit cartoonish to put it this way, but men avoid provoking one another so they don't get a hand across the jaw. Fathers must not provoke your children because you will discourage them. Now this is hard to communicate today. Uh, entitlement is now a virtue. Um, it's, now, um, it's now a program for self-development. And that's offensive. And, and, and when you see it in a 10-year-old, uh, well, you might want to eradicate it, and I mean hard. And sometimes dads think that they need to show the kids who's boss, that the kid needs to know who's in charge and get with the program. Uh, he doesn't need to like it. He needs to lump it and understand his place in this family. Here's the problem, dad. You aren't the boss. The Lord Jesus is the boss. And you wouldn't use that title for him. But it hasn't any of the honor that his lordship carries. You don't define the program. The affectionate generosity of the father defines the program. The kid's place in the family is to grow and learn and become increasingly thankful to follow his own calling. By obeying you, the child should learn how to live well and how to steward his own interests and obligations. The point of obeying as a child is developing the habits of self-control and self-mastery so that you can use liberty to build 
rather than to undo your life. Fathers, if you discourage your child, the kid, then the adolescent, and then the adult, will think that obedience is slavery and self-control is just necessary self-protection. Your, your child will lose heart, even if he does what he's told. Now, these three duties can be very demanding. They take listening to God's word a lot. They take praying a lot. They take asking counsel from others a lot. They take killing your sin and denying yourself a lot. They are duties that can only be had from faith in Christ. This is why exhortation is not enough. Families need exhortation, reminding and correcting and praise for situations done well and repetition of God's promises to motivate, but exhortation is not enough. Families need instruction. Just like with the preceding two verses for husbands and wives, these two verses for families are brief because Paul assumed the Colossians were already well instructed. That good instruction, really deep pondering, was at their elbow. That the word of Christ would dwell richly in that congregation and teach and admonish one another with thanksgiving. And so children, parents, and fathers would be instructed. These duties are founded on faith in Christ and they flow directly from the benefits of Christ. How on earth can a parent expect obedience from a child? You've all proven how sinful that question is. Your parents would probably be able to nod with some sense of, well, I remember how impossible it seemed at times. How can a parent bring that about? Well, Fear and bribery can be very influential, but they, they don't usually produce happy and trustworthy adults, and they certainly do not commend the grace and goodness of God. Wholesome obedience only comes from faith in Christ, and families need to be persuaded that faith in Christ not only brings forgiveness, but it also brings obedience. Do you believe that? Are you persuaded that sinners receiving Christ will also receive real obedience? They'll grow in it. You think about the children you know. Does this sound like overpromising? Here, Paul. Back in the beginning of Colossians, 1, 9 to 10. From the day we heard about you, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. 
This is what Paul says to Christians he'd never met, that he'd heard they had come to faith. He says, I'm praying. I'm praying with this real expectation that God's work among you will lead to walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This is what we seek and expect from faith in Christ. So when you call short sinners to live by faith, they won't be perfectly obedient, but they can grow in obedience just like their parents. And parents should not try to obtain obedience by rules and consequences. Rules and consequences are real and important. But only the grace of God and Jesus can make a sinner obey. Not perfectly, but really. Not immediately, but growing over time. Loving your Savior will do that to you. Children need to be instructed in the gospel and motivated by the gospel. They need to have songs put in their mouths. They need, they need help in thinking about what are the kind of grand things that you would pray and ask God to do in you. And by a grand thing, I do mean build that treehouse all by yourself without breaking your neck. Children need this. And, and this is not the counsel of despair. Look, nothing else will work. You better go to the gospel. This is the whole counsel of God for his glory. The gospel really works. This congregation is a room full of sinners that handle that in their hands. But the families, they need exhortation and they need instruction and they need support. They need to be in this rich indwelling of those whose words are marveled thanksgiving and earnest pleading because God has come to sanctify. Now, Paul, he pins this promise, this expectation of Christians walking in a way that's pleasing to God. He, he pins that to his exhortation for the children. You know, Paul's expression here is very, very terse. And I'm not sure of this. It makes sense. This is memorizable. This is memorizable. I'm mischievous. I kind of want to say, all right, kids, you memorize this one, and dads, you memorize this one, and you wake up in the morning and make a little call and response. Yeah. What do you say, kids? Children, obey your parents and everything because it pleases the Lord. What do you say, dads? Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest you discourage them. But that's me being mischievous. Paul puts this promise right there in this exhortation. He doesn't just tell the children to obey. He gives kids a reason. Children, obey your parents and everything. For this pleases the Lord. You aren't just doing what your parents say, which can be frustrating 
and can make no sense sometimes. And sometimes, yes, it's clear they say, I was wrong, I made a mistake, my information was bad, I just made you waste the whole afternoon. But your obedience was not wasted. It was pleasing to the Lord. Children, you aren't just trying to keep the parents calm and avoid a tongue lashing. You aren't just avoiding the tears and the futility of being ashamed when you're found out. You are living in the honor of God's embrace and you are living up to the honor of his satisfaction. No, not perfectly. No, 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 no. But you also aren't doing it to avoid God's anger either. You are doing it because the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and will make your life shine with him. You are loved by God himself all the time and every moment of growing up. You are living Jesus' victory. Now I'm going to pass over the duty of unity and how it comes from faith in Christ. Um, hoping that I've given you good in previous sermons. I will simply repeat Paul's third summary command. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. Just as faith in Christ knits us together with common purpose, common calling, common resources, so faith in Christ pulls husband and wife together as a display of Christ's glory with his church. But I, I want to linger on dad's faith. The man is put on the spot. He is the one in the responsible position. He might provoke this child to discouragement. It is an ironclad cause and result, but it's a realistic recognition of influence. The child is to obey the parents because that pleases God. The dad's heavy handedness can make the kid think that doing what pleases God just isn't worth it. Yes, dad is wrong. But so is the child. It is worth it. Pleasing God is wondrous, even under great frustration and, and apparent futility. Dad's commanded not only to wield authority, but to wield it with attention to how the child might be tempted to folly. Your dad being a jerk is not an excuse for sin, but it's not a very surprising reason. When your dad is resentful of your sin and the trouble it makes for him, it's easy to follow his example and resent the whole child-parent arrangement. Dad's duty is to recognize the child's weaknesses and susceptibility to discouragement and act gently, guardingly, working for that child's confidence and expectation under God's command. And dad's duty will come from his own saving faith 
in those ugly moments, that's the wake-up call. The, the, the dad doesn't need, hey, do this dad thing right, bozo. Dad needs to start with not being a good enough Christian because dad's not a good enough Christian. He's subject to temptation and prone to folly and needs the Lord Jesus at work in his life day in and day out. Here's dad's faith. I'm not good enough. I don't have to be good enough because the Lord Jesus rules over me with grace greater than my sin. Dad can hear his own selfishness or heavy-handedness or callousness toward his child. Hopefully before he speaks, not infrequently halfway through, popping off in frustration and impatience. Dad sees his own need for Christ and takes refuge in Christ's promises. And then dad imitates Christ. Dad's duty is to love his child the way God is loving him. My child doesn't have to be good enough because the gospel of Jesus can work in his life. The promises that are mine, those promises are my child's too. The Lord Jesus stirs up dad's faith in the resurrected Christ and the victory that delivers him from sin. Now dad is ready to practice the grace of Jesus with his child. Hear this description from Psalm 103. We read, before, we read it before. Enjoying this from God is how a, God, a dad can do the same with his child. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far did he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. There's a likely challenge to Paul's commands to families. You can't assume the kid has faith. If the child is set on disobeying, then what are we going to do? That will short-circuit the whole thing. There won't be any peace and quiet, much less the peace that you call Jesus' victory over sin. For some kids, fear and bribery are the only way to make things work. Fear and bribery do work. They have real effects. But they do not extend the peace of Christ. Parents, your hope for any good in the lives of your children is the Lord Jesus. And, and let's be clear, Paul's specific Greek word cannot be used for a teenager. It's the word for children before puberty, 1 to 12, roughly. And Paul's serious. Now, this is not a commercial for infant baptism. But speaking to your child and treating your child as baptized, just like you and your spouse are, do that. And this will help you wrap your mind around it. Your child's business is not fulfilling the law. 
Your child's business is not making what you never could do actually work. Not even a little bit. No, you're not a good enough Christian. You are Christ's own. Everything that is his is yours. And your child doesn't have to be good enough at all. Your child's business is knowing the Lord and knowing why pleasing him is both glorious and possible. Now, I know this sounds like a sermon aimed at a handful of people, in this room at least. Our small group of parents and their children and our young people who are thinking about, wait, is he talking about what I'm doing later? Understand. Families need to be exhorted, instructed, and supported. That's why this is here. As part of the church's work as one body. When a child is baptized in the PCA, the parents take vows. We actually know that a baby can't do that. Um, that baby's not making promises. Baptism is not about anybody making a promise except God. The parents take vows that their family life together will be an extension of the peace of Christ and they will include their child in it. And the common custom in the PCA is then to address the congregation with this commitment, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child? This congregation exists because our Lord Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. This congregation worships the living God as our own because in the Son, he has adopted us as his own children. This congregation is called to extend the peace of Christ all around you in ordinary life. And this congregation needs to give families the kind of support that we all need. This is not tacked on, not an activity or a special event. This is sharing your lives and your faith and your prayers with them. And this is you having the benefit of watching the gospel be fruitful. You, you know the Playmobil sets? Little figures, there's the mom, the dad, and the dad's race car. And you can watch your kids play, and you can see what your kids think the world is. The families growing in the church, they give you this benefit. You get to watch Faith producing obedience and unity and sympathy, which really are the things that you need to imitate in your own life, that at certain points and moments you think, that's impossible with me. So watch the six-year-old and watch that man. That child doesn't know that he's not exploding. 
peace of Christ ruling in that family will stir you up to persevere to be ruled by the peace of Christ and to extend it where you are. Now, I will conclude with a very particular directive and application in the formal sense. You need to pray for family. You may be able to take action sometimes that fulfill those prayers do that. But pray for families. Pray for children and parents and fathers. Pray for these unbelievable hallowed that happen. It's like life from the dead. Obedience and unity and sympathy. Done by people who brought nothing against but sin and received nothing but Christ. Pray for them to enjoy the gospel together. Also pray that God will bring other families that you know into the life of Christ's body. Leave all this aside. Just We could talk about so much details. Families make no sense in the world today. Our society is losing the echo it has. Imagine trying to be that echo when no one can hear you and know what you are. Pray for families that you know to be brought into the body of Christ. And pray that God will bring other families that you know into this body. That this congregation would be useful and enriching and that we would benefit from the clarity and the simplicity of Christ's work there. Pray with me, please. Father, please, you inspired the Proverbs. You gave to Paul Christmas and exactness. Please make this word Linger with us. Please bring it out of our mouths for each other. Let us, please, instructed, be rich with your word and teach and admonish one another and have joy and praise from it and thanksgiving. Pray in your son. Amen. Please stand.